Well, good morning, y'all. It's, uh, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, it's good to see everybody here in Intersection this morning. It's always a joy to get to share the Word of God with y'all. Uh, some of you know me, some of you don't. I'm Andy Stoddard, lead pastor here at St. Matthew's, and uh, it's always a, a joy to, 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 to flip-flop with Brian and let him being traditional and me in intersection. So thank you all for putting up with me today as we worship together. Uh, we're continuing uh, today our Sunday school stories. We're looking at some of the, the, the stories that we know so well that have been stories that have, been, that have shaped us, that you may have heard about when you were a child, and that we want to hear again. Um, one of the things it is easy to do is to not pay attention to the Bible. Particularly if it's a story we've heard a thousand times before. Like, come on, guys. We're talking about David and Goliath today. You've heard that story a million times. You probably know where I'm going in the sermon. Like, come on. You've reenacted it with your slingshot when you were a child. I mean, we know this story. So today... As we read the story of David and Goliath, that's found in 1 Samuel 17, I want you to listen to it as if you've never heard it before. I want you to try to turn off everything you've heard about it before, or, or turn off any preconceived notions you have of it, or, or turn off any time you may have heard another sermon about it, and try to listen to this text as if you've never heard it before. So today we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel 13, 1st chapter 7, 1 Samuel 17, let me say that in English. And we're going to be kind of skipping around a little bit because it's a real long story and we're not going to read all of the text. We're going to start off from 1 Samuel 17. And if I was competent, I would have marked my Bible before I got in here. So um, first we're going to read, first we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Then we're going to skip to verse 31. So 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 11. You can follow along on the screen or in your own personal Bible. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Socah. They were gathered at Socah, which belongs to Judah. And encamped between Socal and Ezekiah in the Ephraimim. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped around the valley of Elah. They formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on one mountain of the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain of the other side, with a valley between them. And there, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had great great sheaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a, a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, why have you, why have you come to draw out for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, then we will be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. The Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and the Israelites heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now skipping to verse 31. When the words of David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because 
of him, your servant will go and fight this Philistine. David said, Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father whenever a lion or bear came and, t- and took a lamb from the, fo- the flock. I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like, the, like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor. He tried to walk in vain, for it was of no use, he was of no use in them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these, for I am not used to them. So David removed them. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling with his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came and drew near David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he, di- he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air, and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All that the assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. The Philistine drew near to meet David. David ran towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down. So David prevailed against the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. There was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine. He grabbed the sword, drew out his sheath, and killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, here we are, reading one of the most famous stories in the Bible. The Bible is, as you well know, an incredible book. It's a fascinating book. It's a book that takes the whole religious aspect off of the Bible. And let's just talk about the Bible as a work of literature. Let's talk about the Bible as as a document. There's been no book in Western civilization that has more formed things than Scripture. The Bible is the foundation of so many laws, so many cultures, so many things. The Bible has been a foundational document for for the world. There's probably, there's been no book in Western civilization in human history that has so greatly influenced things as Scripture. That's taking off the power of the Holy Spirit within it. That's taking off how Wesley called it twice blessed. Wesley said it was blessed when it was written and it is blessed when it's read. That the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of Holy Scripture is the same Holy Spirit that speaks to me and you through it. That's what the Bible is, y'all. But the Bible has, in many ways, also transcended religious concepts or religious 
ideas. So we, we, we see this. Like there are things about the Bible that everyone knows. Everyone knows. I mean, Noah's Ark. There is a, in the mountains of Finland, there is a place where they have taken the seeds of every known plant in the world. And they have embedded these seeds into this mountain in Finland in this lab so that when the asteroid hits Earth and blows everything up, like in that Morgan Freeman movie, or that movie where Bruce Willis goes and drills an uh, asteroid and blows it up because like an oil rig, whatever that one was, when that happens, all the plants of the Earth will be saved. And so when ants rebuild human society one day, he can go to Norway, he can get the seeds, and he can rebuild human society. And you know what that place is called? Noah's Ark. It's called Noah's Ark. If something is an authoritative text or concept or document, what is it called? What's called the Bible of Whatever. You know, in your field of work, there's probably some document or some manual or some text that everyone looks to for authority. And they say, yes, this is the Bible of whatever. The Bible seen as a source of authority, and folks may not even know what it's about. Today we see David and Goliath. So last year, when St. Peter's beat Kentucky in the NCAA basketball at numbers 15, verse number 2, what happened? David slew Goliath. There's folks that have used that expression and used that terminology, that have used that concept, and they may have no understanding of the biblical concept behind it. Scripture has in many ways escaped religious domain sometimes. The stories have escaped religious domain and are just in many ways universal concepts. And that's one of the cool things C.S. Lewis talks about how every culture has a story of redemption. You can look across any culture in human history, and that culture's going to have a story of someone or something that redeemed the people of that culture through some type of sacrificial act. I mean, that's a common story in human history. And think, about, think about what is Saving Private Ryan about? Individuals laying down their lives, to save someone. Story of redemption through sacrifice. C.S. Lewis talked about how Jesus Christ is that story, but it's not just a story. It's grounded in reality. And that Jesus Christ is that story, that truthful account from which all other stories of redemption flow. To understand redemption, you look to Jesus. That's what Scripture is. Scripture is that story that transcends that all other truth flows from. So that's why it's so important, y'all, for us to know the Bible, to understand the Bible, because God is going to teach us so much through Scripture. So during this series, Ren, we're looking at the old stories you know so well. We, we've talked about Joseph in the coat of many colors. You know, traditionally, we said, well, maybe it might have been a lot of colors. It might have been something else. You know, it was embroidered, you know, perhaps. Who knows? You know, last week, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and what we see and God's movement there, and how the emphasis was not just upon the miracle, but upon the fact in the, in the Greek that Jesus told the disciples, you go feed them. That the miracle wasn't just 
that God fed them, but it's that he believed in the, the disciples to do their part. And we have a part to play in God's miracle. That God is not passive. That God wants us to be his agents of miracles today. Today, we see David and Goliath. This great story. So, there's one thing you need to understand about understanding the Bible, though. That is my dead horse that I beat over and over and over and over and over again. If you've ever been in a Bible study with me, if you've heard me preach, you know this is a big deal to me. Context. You understand the Bible by looking at the greater context. No verse stands alone. No story stands alone. But to understand Scripture, you must look at the greater context of what's happening. So what I want to do as we dig into David and Goliath, I want to look at the greater context of what we see happening behind the scenes. In this text, what is the context of what's happening? Because if you understand the context, you can go a little deeper and understand deep things. We're going we're gonna to find some pretty cool stuff when we look at the story. But some real quick things to look at on the front end. Kate did a really good job in the children's moment of explaining the story. She really did. Because the scripture is very clear on two things. We see in the story of David and Goliath the insurmountable odds that David was against. We see first, we see it says that Goliath was these, all these cubits high. We don't know exactly how high, how tall Goliath was. Because there's some, uh, you know, uh, uh, uncertainty about what a cubit exactly equates to. At the bare minimum, David, I mean, Goliath would have been about 6'7". That's bare minimum, 6'7". He could have been as tall as nine feet tall, okay? You know how tall the average Israelite was? Five three. The average Israelite was five three. So Goliath, at minimum, minimum, was two feet taller than the average Israelite. He was probably closer to twice their size. By the way, Scripture tells us that Saul was a, a height, was, was, was taller than the rest of the Israelites. So that's one of the things Scripture tells us about Saul. That's one of the contrasts of Saul versus David. Do you remember the story in the Bible where David is anointed king of Israel? And you know what Samuel saw when he saw David? <laughs> Not him. <laughs> he doesn't run the litter. That David, he can't be the one you're going to use, God. You know what Saul, you know what Samuel saw when he saw Saul, when Samuel saw Saul? Say that quickly. You know what he saw? Man, that guy looks good. That guy looks like a king. That guy looks like what a king should look like. He's tall. He's handsome. Yeah. Saul looks the part. David doesn't. Yet upon which of them was the spirit of God? There's somebody in your life right now that you don't think it's going to amount to a hill of beans. And that might be the one that's going to change things. Let's be very careful, y'all, not to judge the external. But as the Bible says, God looks at the heart. Let's look at the heart. So we see first off with Goliath how huge he was. Five, three, six, seven, no shorter than, maybe nine feet. Big dude. 
And do you see, Kate talked about the armor he was wearing. Like, he, he had on some pretty, pretty impressive armor. Like, he wasn't going out there in flip-flops and a t-shirt. I mean, he was going out there for battle. He was a trained warrior. He had the helmet. He had the sword. He had the spear. He had all this stuff. And he's out there. I didn't read the whole text. But, man, y'all, he is just taunting the people of God. He is out there every day saying, come on, you bunch of cowards. Come on. Come on. He's just out there just talking smack. Like, he, he was just running his mouth the whole time. He'd have been the kind of guy where you're playing ball against him. You'd have hated to play against him because he wouldn't stop talking the entire time. Just the entire time. It's kind of what I did. When I, back in the day when I played church league softball, which is of the devil. Nothing godly ever happens on a church league softball field. Am I, am I, you know I'm telling the truth. I've been in one sure enough fist fight in my entire life. Church league softball. Montgomery Baptist Church. They changed the rules mid-game. We got mad. We had a fist fight by the pitcher's mound. In Jesus' name, one fight. Yeah, we won. Heck yeah. Because we Methodists, we cheat. Um, but I was the catcher when, on our softball team, so what I did the entire time, I just talked the entire time, man. You'd be in the batter's box, and I'm just running my mouth the entire time. They hated me. It was so much fun. So, so that's, what, that's, what, that's what Goliath was. He's out in the middle of, in the valley just running his yap the entire time, just talking smack the entire time. And David gets there, he's like, Guys, what's wrong with y'all? We got God on our side. Why are we letting this guy talk smack about us? We got God. They're like, wait, who's that pip speak? Who's that pip speak? Hey, whose little brother is this? Hey, guys, you lost your little brother. Because David's brothers were fighting. Like, guys, you lost your little brother. Like, somebody, child in the playing field, child in the battlefield, somebody get the kid. Somebody get the kid. So David says, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. So he, so Saul, this tells how hard up they were. They say, okay, let's let the kid fight him. So which one, one of the cool parts of the story to me is when they take uh, David to Saul. And they put Saul's armor on David. You know? Because we've already established that Goliath has all this armor, right? He's got the helmet, the shield, all this type of stuff. He's got all this. And they put Saul's armor on David. And you know what he finds when he puts Saul's armor on? He can't walk. It's too big. Doesn't fit. Doesn't work right. So David says, I, I, can't, I can't wear this. I can't go into, fight, into battle wearing your armor. I've got to be who it is that God has made me to be. I've got to fight this battle the way that I know to fight it. I've got to be who it is that God made me to be. One of the biggest issues that we Christians struggle with is comparison. You are not someone else. Don't try to wear their armor. Don't try to wear their armor. For so many years, I thought, well, I'm not as good a, pre- as good a preacher as so-and-so or such-and-such. I'm not as good an administrator as so-and-so or such-and-such. I'm not nearly as good as it ought to be. I'm just a big, fat failure because I'm not them. I felt such failure in my life, and I had such inability to be faithful. 
because I was trying to wear somebody else's armor. I was trying to be somebody I wasn't and live out someone else's gifts instead of living out the gifts that God had given to me. If David had tried to fight this battle wearing Saul's armor, he would have been killed. He would have been defeated. He would have lost. He couldn't fight this battle wearing Saul's armor. He had to fight the battle who he was. Stop trying to be who you're not. Stop comparing your family to somebody else's family. Stop trying to act like you got it all figured out. Just be who it is that God has called you to be faithfully. And you are enough to be used by God. You are enough to be used by God. We would think that David could not win the battle because he wasn't enough. We've already established how big Goliath was. We already established how small and of a runt of the litter David was. Now we see that David is not even going to wear the armor, but he's going to go out there with his sling and some rocks against this giant. In many ways, we see the key to this story is David's speech before the battle. The victory doesn't come by sword or by shield, but by the Spirit of the Lord. In many ways, this story mimics the story of Gideon. Do you remember the story of Gideon from the book of Judges? That God wants to defeat the enemies. So he has Gideon form an army. And every time Gideon has an army, God says, nope, too many. Too many. You know, uh, who wants to go to battle with a smaller army? But over and over again in the the story of Gideon, God kept giving him a smaller army and a smaller army and a smaller army and a smaller army. So finally he went into battle when the smallest armies in the Bible And the reason being is so that when he won the battle, there could be no doubt that the victory was because of the Lord. When you look at the story of Goliath and David, you see the huge giant with the huge armor and the huge weaponry against a child with a slingshot. Yet that child wins because of the Spirit of God. I think we have a a fundamental misunderstanding of what David and Goliath is about, though, in my opinion. And I think that's what the text is really trying to teach us when we read the whole of Scripture. See, we see David as a motivational story. It's, It's basically rocky in the Old Testament. You know, uh, this, young, this young upstart, he's going to climb the stairs of the building. And Adrian, that's what, that's what David and Goliath is, basically. It's a motivational story. And we read that story and we're like, yes, yes, I'm going to be David. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get my slingshot. And I'm going to slay the giant that's in front of me. And I'm going to be David. And I'm going to triumph. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to win. Yes, that's what I'm going to do. And we turn this story to a motivational eye of the tiger type thing. Hype video for the football team. 
that's not what the story is. Friends, we are not David in this story. We are not David. You know who we are? We are the helpless Israelites on the side over there. Jesus is David. Jesus is David. Jesus is the hero of the story. And Jesus is the hero of every story. This story is pointing us to the truth of Jesus Christ, how he will slay the the Goliath of evil, how he will slay the Goliath of the devil. Well, he will slay the Goliath of the powers, the principalities, and the rulers of this dark age. This story is not a motivational story for me and you to get pumped up about how we're going to go kick Satan in the face. This story is an understanding that Jesus has already defeated the devil. And that he is victorious. And that he reigns. And that he is our savior. Because if we turn this story into a motivational story, what happens when we fail? What happens when Goliath wins? What happens when we're not good enough, are holy enough, are perfect enough, are smart enough, are whatever enough? And then we get frustrated with our faith. We feel inadequate. We feel like we can't do it. But the reality is we don't have to do it. Jesus has already done it. The victory has already been won. Death has already been defeated. The grave has already been destroyed. Evil has already been overcome. We are not David slaying the Goliath. We are the Israelites receiving the spoils of victory that Jesus has won. As Paul tells us, we are saved by grace through faith, lest no one can boast. The victory is Jesus' victory. The victory is his. And we receive it. Jesus is the hero of the story, y'all. Jesus is the hero of every story. And friends, if you're living your life making yourself the hero of your own story? We call that a tragedy. Because what you going to do when something goes wrong? What you going to do when you fail? What you going to do when tragedy comes? What are you going to do when you say to yourself, I'm not good enough, I can't measure enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not holy enough. And if I'm the hero of my own story, I'm always going to feel inadequate or... There's something more dangerous than being inadequate. I'm going to feel cocky. I'm going to delude myself into thinking that I've got it all figured out. And then I'm going to be like that story in the parables, the parable in Jesus' story, where the the Pharisee looks at the tax collector and says, Lord, thank you that you did not make me a tax collector. The tax collector beats his breast and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. There are two dangers we face, y'all. One is to think that we're unforgivable. We're too weak and we'll never figure it out. 
They want us to think that we have no need for forgiveness because we're pretty perfect as it is. And the devil is pleased with both of those options. And if we make ourselves the hero of the story, that's what will happen. We'll go down one of those two paths. We'll fail and we'll think we're unforgivable. Or we'll get it right and we think we have no reason for forgiveness. But if Jesus is the hero of the story, we know that he loves us, he cares for us, and that forgiveness is there for us. He's come to save you. He's come to deliver you. He's come to forgive you. He's come to restore you. He's the hero. And he's the one that makes our life truly worth living. So today, may we understand our role in the story. May we see the victory that Jesus has won. And may we live out the confidence that comes from being a child of God. Let's pray.